welcome to episode 211 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 2nd of January 2023. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. I'm still sick. <laughs> Graham. Are these numbers real? And Will. Hello. No, I'm totally used to the idea of in 2023 now. It's been a week. And episode 211. Oh my God. I know. Anyway, let's do some discoveries then. Will. You just never change, do you? ESP home. <laughs> I tried. I tried so hard. And I went through my history and like see what I've been playing with and see what I've been checking out over the Christmas holidays. And it wouldn't you believe it, it's another ESP eighty two sixty six project. What a shocker. <laughs> yeah. But this is a this is like potentially the final one because I think maybe this answers all of the questions I've had about which software do I run on this thing that is going to allow me to address all of my bizarre use cases without having to reflash it every five minutes and try something new and learn another thing. ESP Home is from the same people that do Home Assistant. It's got libraries included in the, the build system for pretty much every single bit of hardware that you can connect to an ESP8266 or an ESP32. It can talk to temperature sensors, humidity sensors, light sensors, other sorts of radios, um, every imaginable sensor that you can you can imagine, it can talk to. And uh, also it has a really nice Bluetooth relay feature. So if you're like sniffing for Bluetooth beacons, for example, a Bluetooth temperature sensor, which broadcasts the temperature over Bluetooth every sort of 30 seconds or something, if you're running Home Assistant, you need a Bluetooth dongle plugged into that Pi, wherever Home Assistant is running, in order for that to receive Bluetooth signals. The downside with that is that if your Pi is tucked away in the back of a comms cupboard somewhere or in a big metal rack, you don't really get much of a Bluetooth signal. So using an ESP32 and ESP Home, you can create effectively a passive Bluetooth repeater and you can dot these things around your house for you know four or five quid a, a go. Really good value. To configure this thing, it's got a Docker container that you can run locally. You open up a Chrome browser or Chromium browser, something that allows access to the USB port, run this Docker container, point your browser at it, plug your ESP32 or ESP8266 via a serial cable into your computer, and you can flash it straight from the browser. Configuration is all done via YAML, so you don't have to write a whole load of boilerplate code to use this thing. It's just config. And it's nice and responsive. It's got uh, OTA updates supported. It's just a nice, tidy, clean project. You can build your images not using Arduino, so you can save a bit of overhead there as well. You can use the Espressif, um, like native SDK. It's all things considered. It's a pretty neat solution. It's nice and tidy. And it's probably the final thing that you will hear from me until next week on ESP8266 firmware. I don't believe him. I'm pretty <laughs> sure he's going to be tweeting at us or telegramming us with various things. But it's funny, all the things that you listed there, I have a pie doing it in a cupboard. Mm. That probably could be done on this. Uh, the only thing that I've got on it are these uh, temperature probes strapped to my heat pump pipes to try and measure the temperature of the outcoming and ingoing uh, water temperature. And uh, yeah, I probably could do it with one of those. Yeah, you could. You could send it straight to MQTT, for example, and you could 
well, I don't know, I'm guessing here, but I, I would imagine that an ESP8266 would use significantly less power than even a Pi 2, I would expect. <laughs> this is a Pi 1, believe it or not. Well... It's a really nice site as well. Just browsing through it just makes you want to try all kinds of projects. Mm. I've got a box of a load of sensors somewhere. I just should put something together and sense something. Oh, worthy of note, I think, is that it also supports the Raspberry Pi 2040, mm. the, the microcontroller board. So if you've got one of those and you're looking for something to do with it, this is a good place to start, I think. Failing, Homer and SIP Capture. Yeah, this is a bit of a niche in all fairness. But if you had, say, a big company-wide Astra setup and you were kind of sick and tired of people going, oh, such and such not working. And then you log in, you get them to generate the same error again. It either does or doesn't work and you parse through the package SN grep or whatever, which is a, a grep for uh, audio packets. You should probably set up SIPCAP here or Homer as is this sort of part of it. And it comes as a nice, easy to install Docker container type thing if that's your want you can install it separately yourself but at each site you could run they've got a client essentially you can run there which will trawl all that data fire it over to the centralized box and therefore you can get all that call data in a nice web gui and it's an awful lot easier than trying to get pcap files manually yourself so maybe that saves somebody some effort i've used it ages ago I'd kind of forgotten about it, and then I went looking for a better solution. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll use this thing I used about five years ago. So, yeah, it's brilliant. So does it hook into your asterisk server, or does it, like, sniff packets? I don't understand how you integrate with it. There's various ways. So there's, like, this HEP protocol that asterisk can do and various other ones. Like, there's a whole load of different clients out there that can be done, uh, like Camillo and stuff like that. And they do that protocol but you can also use which is essentially a packet sniffer client which i've used which is called heplify and i actually found that's quite easy to deploy because what i did was it's a single binary file it's written in go i believe and i've deployed it through a salt stack cluster and i could create a systemd job for it fire it out to the client and you know it all just happens it says are you an asset server right here you go you have this and you send all your details back to me and then I have a config file that just points it back into the centralized box and that way it doesn't store forever data at the moment it seems to only store a, a several hundred conversations but to be honest that's generally all you want because you, somebody will say oh this thing's not working anymore and then let you know and you say well hang on i can go and check that now and uh, it's all available to hand all right and you also need a new keyboard by the looks of things. Yes, I spilled tea into my keyboard. My <laughs> beautiful, beautiful Cooler Master Master Keys Pro S. It's a TKL keyboard with RGB stuff on it. And I know there are many, many, many keyboards out there. And I fucking hate searching for them. I'm sick and tired of looking at, oh, which one does this do? Does this have the right bloody driver? Or does it have a driver? Can you use it on Linux? And at this point, I really don't care. And I found Solar for all my Logitech mice, which I hadn't seen before, which is quite a handy project. And then I looked and I found a Logitech G Pro TKL keyboard, you know, and um, that and another demon that apparently you can configure the RGB stuff on. And I think I might go for that. A hundred pounds for a keyboard is too much for a keyboard. My previous keyboard was more than that. I think it was about 150, but... I type on it all the time, nonstop. Really, you should invest in the thing that you use all the time. 
I wouldn't expect you to get a shitty USB microphone now, would I, Joe? Ha ha ha. Well, Will, please enlighten us on how you can get a decent keyboard for a fraction of that. Uh, no, I spent more than that. Uh. I spent 114 quid on mine. Ha! <laughs> but uh, but mine has got the number keys, and I like to maths on those, so... Oh, I fucking hate the number keys. What? What's wrong with you, man? Because I, I was actually getting shoulder pain from me- from my mouse, because my mouse has to be out further. Mm. So you, you t- add 10 centimetres to where your mouse... Or 15 centimetres to where your mouse is now, and you're actually at a, quite a out sideways now we could all get carried away and be like Graham and have one half of each keyboard <laughs> I'm staying quiet that looks like an accordion keyboard on either armchair of his fucking chair but no I want a normal-ish keyboard I hear good things about these Logitech keyboards and I also want the blue clicky ones because uh. I have the brown I have the brown slightly clickier but I want the blue even more clickier ones uh, I well I went the other way I went from blue to brown because the clickiness was was too much well like you I also like Logitech keyboards I have the K400 plus and it even has a, a built-in trackpad I'll get away with your membrane keyboards you useless person <laughs> you it's nice and quiet it's it's like having a good old school laptop keyboard before laptops got ridiculously thin and it doesn't it doesn't go clack, 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 all that it's just oh I tried a mechanical keyboard once and it drove me up the wall. Oh, so good. They are so good. No, lies. And don't anybody write in to tell me how great the keyboard that you think is is after I've already purchased this one and I could have either got a better keyboard or a cheaper one. I don't want to know. Just stop. Oh, so you've already bought this then? I haven't, but I've in my head I have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and this comes out in a week, so you will have. I will have, yeah, because my C key doesn't work for a start, uh, and that is problematic. (laughs) How do you stop scripts from running? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Well, do you know what? It actually happened like that, I swear. It (laughs) It works if you start typing. You have to, like, hammer it, and then it goes, oh, you want me to do a C. But for ages, I was going, why can I not kill this fucking script? And that's what it must have been, but I hadn't realized it. It must be because you hit that more than any other key. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Worn it out. Perhaps I have been cursing at people. I don't know. Maybe. Well, it doesn't matter what you say, Fellin. We're going to get a hundred fucking emails about keyboards now. So well done. I know. I know. I'm sorry. From Amazon, I did get a pretty good keyboard. I think it's called the RK Royal Kludge, which sounds to me like a lubricant. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it has got mechanical keys and they're replaceable and it's got RGB and it had a really nice feel. And I got it on sale for about 50 euro. Um, it's a bit more expensive at the moment, but I mean, it's all right. It's Bluetooth and it works. Yeah, it's an American keyboard, though. I can't mm. deal with the horizontal enter key. It just does warp my mind somewhat. I suggest checking out Ducky keyboards. They are UK. Uh, I've l- I've looked at that. See, I've read a few things. Like, for a start, the colour on that thing just makes me vomit. It is atrocious looking. Maybe they have other ones, but oh, I, all I could see was that, you that blue one with the giant yellow enter key. It's just like, oh, God, stop. No, they've got, like, business ones, too, They're rather than um, novelty, brightly coloured ones. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux, support the show, and get $100 free credit. From their award-winning support, offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace, or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. 
and check out their managed MySQL, Postgres, and MongoDB databases that allow you to quickly deploy a new database and defer management tasks like configuration, managing high availability, disaster recovery, backups, and data replication. Simple and fast to deploy with secure access, their flexible plans include daily backups. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, create a free account, and you'll get $100 in credit and support the show. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. Graham, reflective bezel shaders for MAME. Have you been playing with your arcade cabinet again? Yeah, so, I mean, we've just had Christmas and um, I had some time off. And I think every Christmas time, I update my arcade machine. I've had my, an arcade machine for, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. It's an old bubble bubble machine. And I'm sorry, Alan, but I took the uh, the PCB out. I still got it and put a PC in there, replaced the CRT with a flat screen. And I've, I've written about it and talked about it before. And it runs uh, Manjaro and runs all year and it's offline. Um, I don't touch it. But at this time of year, it's dark and it's quite a good project to kind of do and play the games again. And this time, I haven't. I don't keep on top of all the developments, but I'm using a reasonable OpenGL accelerated graphics card on it. And in MAME, there are lots of graphical backends for adding effects, one of which is called BGFX, which is like a library that gives you access to shaders, which is small kind of snippets of code that other people typically write to run low-level GPU code at really high performance. And people use BGFX to create... CR2 emulators and I've I've configured these before and they work amazingly well. I've got shaded glass so the screen's behind the shaded glass so you can't see the screen at all and with these shaders running you can create a tilted angle, you can curve the edges of the screen and you can of course put the scan lines and all the colour distortion on and it looks so realistic and you, you can get it working for vector graphics as well even though this is running on a flat screen. I had all of that running and this is this is the discovery really. In the last year or so, reflective bezel shaders have become a thing. Now, <laughs> on old arcade machines, they use big curved CRT screens and they'd be embedded within a cabinet, but the bezel would go all around the actual screen shape. If you know, it's it's just like the plastic that would go around or the wood or the veneer. And those bright screens would reflect off the bezel. It's just part of the whole glow of the thing. And this is what these reflective bezel shaders do in MAME. They actually create a fake impression of a case around the actual screen, which respects all the angles and the curvature you've set for the games, and then will render the reflections, you know, in a very hazy kind of realistic real-time way of the games that you're playing so you know if you've got the high score at the top of for example you'll see a reflection of the high score on your pretend bezel inside the arcade cabinet and i honestly it looks so realistic behind this screen most people would think you've got crt behind there with a bezel um it looks so good and i know this sounds like really niche and geeky but it's added so much to my enjoyment i've gone through all those old games and played them again and really it really adds something maybe that's just me but it's it's a great add-on to mame if you find yourself playing those games Slightly off topic, but clicking around that MAME docs website, I see Linux light guns listed. Light guns are something that have always got me a little bit excited. How do they work on flat screen TVs or monitors? Do you know? No, I don't know. I would guess that they probably emulate kind of mouse input or something, and you've got to find a device that translates it into motion like a Wii controller. Oh, nice. Maybe. It wouldn't surprise me if somebody's got the original light gun 
things working with some pretend input scanline. I don't know. MAME always surprises me. The, the quality of the emulation is second to none. And, and even things like, I don't know, like old 8-bit home computers seem to be emulated better in MAME than they are elsewhere. It's a, a really amazing, incredibly successful and, and fun project and uh, always good to hear stuff about them. Have you actually got this inside a like a proper like MDF like cabinet that you have built yourself? The actual cabinet is a real bubble bubble cabinet from mm. the 80s. Oh, I see, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I didn't explain it well. It's still so it's the original cabinet. I've taken the game out. I've still got the game um and I put in my own controllers in. Um so I've oh got a trackball, God. two joysticks and like a load of buttons on each side for multiplayer games. I haven't got a couple of spinners. I keep meaning to buy a couple of spinners and fit them in somewhere. <laughs> what is the um, MAME cabinet equivalent of wearing like an engineer train driver's uniform? <laughs> yeah. Is it like a, a set of overalls and a baseball cap with your name on it yeah. or something? Oh, it's so, it, I mean, it's awful. It's still got the fluorescent tube behind the thing oh, at the top Jesus with the original Christ. kind of frosted plastic or whatever it is. It's a lovely glow. It's probably costing me about 300 quid an day to run it. <laughs> oh, and I've got the coin mech running as well, which is nice. Oh, so I, I, I'm so sad because it doesn't take any modern coins. I have to have a collection of old coins. <laughs> and I'll take them out like a, like a little 10-year-old and put them on the side and <laughs> put my pennies in to play the next, oh. you know, Gallagher. So you've got a lot of old pound coins in that then? Yeah, and 50s and 10s. Yeah, 50p's and 10p's. I suppose, yeah, they've all changed, haven't they? 5p's, yeah. Bloody hell, we're old. I remember having half pennies kicking around when I was a kid. Oh, God, yeah. They hadn't been in circulation for ages, but they were still in the house. Generation X11 here. (laughs) I've got loads of discoveries, so I better be quick with them. The first one is The Great Crypto Scam. This is an excellent 54-minute documentary on YouTube by James Janney, or James Yanni, I don't know how you say that. And obviously, we all know that cryptocurrencies are just bullshit at this point, but He goes into a lot of detail, and I did actually learn several new things from this, so highly recommended, especially if you want just to grow your hate and to really, like, seethe while you're watching it. I think you'd love it, Phelan. (laughs) I shall add this to my list. Yeah. Couple of distro releases. Vanilla OS. So many people have sent me a link to this, including you, (laughs) Phelan, I think. This is a derivative of Ubuntu with an immutable file system, essentially what I predicted for the 2022 predictions, except that, no, I predicted it would be a remix, which is specifically the first step to becoming an official flavor. So this doesn't quite count. Okay, well, we will remember you null and voiding this, so when you try to claim it in uh, December next year. Well, I didn't try and predict it for this year. I tried to predict it for last year, so... Uh, I've already lost the point, unfortunately. But nevertheless, this is a very interesting project. And it's from the developer of Bottles, Ah. which is uh, quite a popular project. So I think it might have legs. I think it's definitely one to watch. I tried it out very briefly. Unfortunately, it wouldn't let me install to a partition. It needed the whole disk and that machine. I kind of wanted to keep my various other installations on, so I didn't install it. But It was just GNOME and Ubuntu and Immutable, but not RPM OS tree, interestingly. It's AB root, which is a slightly different approach. And I know you love this sort of thing, Phelim, so I'm sure you'll be installing it. GNOME, Immutable, what else could you uh, want? Love it. Yeah, love it. Well, another distro release that I just wanted to mention was Endeavor OS Cassini. 
this came out towards the end of last year. And for those who don't know, it's just Arch on easy mode, essentially. And I wanted to try this out because when I talked about the Arch installer, which is really, really easy these days, I talked about how maybe it sort of rendered things like Endeavor OS redundant. But then I tried this release and Endeavor OS really is nice. I installed it offline, so it comes with XFC by default. But if you connect it to the internet during the installation, you can get all sorts of other desktop environments. And it's just a great Arch experience. I mean, it's still Arch, so it's a little bit rough around the edges compared to Zubuntu LTS. But uh, it's highly recommended if you just want to get into Arch, I reckon. My other discovery is that Mozilla have had to change Firefox's user agent string because part of it made it look like Internet Explorer 11. And so for 10 versions of Firefox, it would have confused certain websites. Fucking Internet Explorer, man. It just refuses to go away and stop being a fucking headache. And that's exactly the reason why it went past Windows 9. Because of this, they feared that it would auto-detect the start digit and think it was 98 or 95. Yeah. What are these people doing? Compare the whole fucking number, not the first fucking digit. Jesus Christ. It's already eight characters long. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's a fairly simple fix, but just fuck a bunch of Internet Explorer, man. For anybody who's having to deal with websites that are blocking or, you know, sniffing around the user agent string, oftentimes you use something like wget or the like and you can't get access. Useragents.me is a page that has an API as well that's free and you can get various proper strings there from it and copy paste them or you know pull them down as json or whatever and it's quite it gives you all the percentages of the popularity of it so if you want to try and sneak in as a very popular browser you could use that as a way to pick it very handy resource okay this episode is sponsored by tailscale go to tailscale.com Tailscale is a VPN service that makes the devices and applications you own accessible anywhere in the world securely and effortlessly It enables encrypted point-to-point connections using WireGuard, which means only devices on your private network can communicate with each other. Unlike traditional VPNs, which tunnel all network traffic through a central gateway server, Tailscale creates a peer-to-peer mesh network. It handles complex network configuration on your behalf, so you don't have to. Network connections between devices pierce through firewalls and routers as if they weren't there, so there's no need to manually configure port forwarding. Tailscale is available for Linux, Mac, Windows, Raspberry Pi and ARM, Android, iOS, Synology, and for devices that don't allow additional software to be installed, such as printers and other embedded devices, where you can set up a subnet router to act as a gateway, relaying traffic from your Tailscale network onto your physical subnet. So go to tailscale.com and try it for free on up to 20 devices. That's tailscale.com. On to a bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. If you want to learn more, you can go to latenightlinux.com support. And remember, for $10 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed that includes this show, Linux After Dark, and Linux Downtime. Plus, you get episodes a little bit early sometimes. And if you want to get in contact with us, you can email show at latenightlinux.com. Let's do some feedback then. Nathan writes... I'm grateful for technology like Pi-hole that enables network-wide blocking of unwanted content. Is anyone aware of a clever way to avoid Google Capture? Perhaps my online activity is just suspiciously robotic, but I find myself constantly being forced to identify half a dozen grainy pictures of fire hydrants and bicycles before I'm allowed to access my own webmail, the help section of the TFL website, or even, and most amusingly, 
when I tried to run a Google search for far-right political parties in the Republic of Ireland. What a bot would do with such information, I have no idea. Is there a clever technical solution to this? I'm heartily sick of being used as free labor to train Google's stupid self-driving AI. Nathan's clearly a terrorist. Don't give him any information. (laughs) Or a robot. (laughs) Don't let him trick you. I just don't think there is a solution to this, is there? Not that I'm aware of, and I find actually that things like Piehole tend to trigger this interruption from Google more often. Certainly I've noticed it more in the last couple of months, I would say, than previously, and that's perhaps... It was a coincidence, but it coincides with when I started to really tighten up my pie hole configuration and and try and block a lot more ads. I would guess that on the back end, they use things like the number of ads being served to you as a suggestion that you're a normal internet browsing user human being, then you are likely to be a, a bot that's scraping their website. So my view is that using things like Piehole is going to make this problem worse. So just have to suck it up. So maybe counterintuitively do less in terms of privacy and ad blocking and stuff. And maybe you won't have to deal with this shit. Yeah, it's a bit self-defeating, but yeah. The alternative, I think, and, and perhaps more realistically, is write an AI to solve this problem for you. <laughs> yeah, excellent idea. Charlotte got in touch to respond to the discussion that we'd had about Signal and various messaging apps. For my family of five, I self-host XMPP with Snicket, that's S-N-I-K-K-E-T dot org. Chats are end-to-end encrypted via OMIMO or OpenPGP, and you can communicate with anyone else on an XMPP server. There are clients for Android and iOS, plus all the major desktops. Text, audio calls, and video chat all work well. I actually used to do that as well with their one called prosody.im. Yeah, it's good. And do you know what? I might look at Snicket because I'm looking to get something from my son on his tablet and he has a, uh, doesn't have an, uh, like a SIM in it. So you can't use things like Telegram would be dead handy to have for that. Like there's kids apps that can do chat, like kids plus or something like that. But obviously I can't install a client because it's uh, proprietary. So I don't have it on my phone. So I might do this for us internally. I'm just surprised that XMPP is still going. I suppose these things don't die. It's like Gnutella or whatever, like the the LimeWire shit. That is still, you can still get a FOSS client for that and connect to it. Yeah, what would you be looking for? Well, what you'd be looking for is one thing. What you would fucking accidentally find would be quite another, I think. (laughs) But uh, I remember just going looking out of interest to see whether it was still a network and it is like these networks and protocols never truly die there's always a few people playing with them and there's usually some obscure open source software that will uh, connect to them somewhere somebody is writing into us right now to tell us about the gemini protocol and how brilliant it is and it's the future and they might be right but that does sound quite nice to have properly end-to-end encrypted chat that you can just set up for your family or whatever if you want to discuss very private matters you know like medical stuff or whatever you know plans for the event that are going to take place <laughs> where to hide the bodies what <laughs> where to get hold of a good timer <laughs> well, no, I'm, I'm thinking more like you know uh what's the best piles cream that sort of thing that you wouldn't want the whole world to know oh fuck i've just said it on a podcast now <laughs> 
Alexa, where can I get Piles Cream? <laughs> You've just subscribed yourself to uh, one pack every two weeks now. <laughs> he was already subscribed. Who are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> this stress works its way out in mysterious ways, I tell you. But good for you, Charlotte. That sounds really cool that you've uh, made use of open source software there. And you're not worried about the network effect because you're forcing people to use the thing that you want. Right, well, we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back next week when we might be talking about what's in the news, but we'll have to see. It's January, not much happens usually. But until then, I've been John. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later. Bye.